We're here. It's the first Sunday of Advent. I don't know if that means anything to anybody. That's exciting. It's a, it's a good time to be alive every year, um, specifically uh, this year as well. We're going to talk a little bit about Advent today. Lifehouse, as a rule, does not recognize or celebrate Advent, but I got permission to talk about it this once. So, here we are. Advent, for those of you who don't know, I mean, when we say Advent, basically we just mean the Christmas season. Most of us celebrate the Christmas season. That's when we start playing our Christmas tunes, right? We start talking about Christmas a little more. We start saying Merry Christmas to people. And we do that during the season that is traditionally called Advent. And Advent is not just a, a Catholic holiday, per se. It's not a fancy Catholic thing. I mean, it is a fancy Catholic thing in that it's a Latin word. It's a word that we have, and it comes from Latin. The Catholic Church likes Latin, but that's fine. I don't know why. Well, I do know why. It's a long story, but don't worry about it. So it means, it means coming. We sang that great song, You Came, and that's, that's like the perfect Advent song. You totally, obviously did that on purpose. No? Really? You did not? Oh my goodness. It just wow. came to me. I've that's amazing. That song. Oh, so. I was singing that and I was like, this is like, this song is Advent. It was really exciting. So yeah, it just means, it means coming. It comes from, um, it's actually, it's the Latin translation of a Greek word, um, parousia, uh, which if you're like a bible nerd person, uh, you might know about that. That's the, the word that people tend to use to refer to the second coming, the parousia. Um, and so that's, that's what Advent is. It just means coming. So this is the season of the year. There's like the four weeks, whatever, leading up to Christmas, depending on how the calendar works. But where most of the Christians in the world are focused on the coming. It's a, it's a looking back to the coming, the birth of Christ, which we obviously celebrate on December 25th in your own homes with your own family because we're not having service. <laughs> um, but it's a looking back and it's a looking forward because it's the same word. It's the coming of Jesus. We celebrate that Jesus came. You came. You came and you're coming. So that's Advent. So I think that's pretty exciting. I think it's pretty exciting to spend a few weeks being excited about uh, the coming of Jesus. And another cool thing, if you, uh, if you choose to get Advent in your brain, is that um, because there's these few weeks in which most Christians in the world are, are thinking about Christmas or thinking about the coming of Jesus, it's a cool time to just notice your oneness with the body of Christ. You know, so we're in this together, that we're all here, we're looking to the coming Jesus, to the king who showed up, and who didn't have to. So, that's my little blurb about why I think Advent is one of the most exciting things ever. Um, I say that about a few things, so I've got a list of exciting things. I should be excited more often given how many things that I think are the most exciting thing ever. But uh, that's fine. So, 
a little quick thing, I guess, again, on where this word comes from, right? So I, I mentioned uh, coming or arrival, um, Latin, Adventus, Greek, Perusia. Uh, if you've read 1 Thessalonians 4.15, uh, you don't have to turn there. Uh, but this is just, uh, we'll just do a, a quick uh, reference to that. This is where um, Paul is talking about those who have fallen asleep. Uh, he's like, everybody's like, they, they've died, and, uh, but they've, they've fallen asleep. And so and he's like, don't worry, it'll be fine. When Jesus comes, Perusia, mm. right, they'll, they'll be resurrected and then we'll all, um, they'll, we'll be caught up with him in the air. And so we will be with him forever. Uh, and that's really exciting. This, so this, but this word, this parousia, is, it's, a, it's the word that you, that you use when a king comes. It's like, so a king or whatever they've been, they'd say they've been out campaigning, right? They've been out doing war or whatever. Then they come back to the parousia. They've got a big royal procession. And so, you know, and Paul talks about trumpets and stuff, like, so it's this really cool thing. The other thing about the word parousia is that it's a, it's a coming to hang out for a while. It, it talks about, in the, the word, it's, it's a coming, an arrival, and it's a presence. And, this, and like, it implies a bit, of a bit of a staying. And so this is what Jesus did. He came, and he hung out for a while. He did a lot of stuff while he was here. Then he left. But he's coming again. He's going to hang out for a while. But the exciting thing, actually, maybe we should go to 1 Thessalonians 4.15. Let's go there real quick. Okay. Sorry, guys. I'm getting more excited about it than I thought I would. <laughs> yeah, so the, the, uh, the really neat thing when you think about this, um, okay, actually, so it's more than just 15. But that's where the word parousia is. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming, the parousia of the Lord, will not precede uh, those who have fallen asleep. And then he, he goes, all right, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. This is a royal procession. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, including the dead, because they have just risen, uh, and remain, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So, the royal procession of the king is coming from the clouds, right? Because that's where he went. He's coming back that way. And then we'll get caught up to meet him. When a royal procession comes in, people from the city come out. To meet. You don't just, if the king is coming, you don't just sit there on the wall and you're like, pick it up. <laughs> don't got all day. No. There's, a, there's another kind of uh, a welcoming procession, if you will. They go out to meet him and then they come into the city together. This is what this is about. So it's a coming to stay a while. Jesus came and he stayed a while. But this is so exciting because he came and he stayed a while and then he left. But then he's coming to stay a while and not leave. And so we shall always be with the Lord. King is coming for keeps. So again, this is where we get the word Advent. This is, uh, this is why we care about it. This is super exciting. So I'm going to read uh, some more 
uh, scriptures, and uh, you can turn with me. Let's start with, oh, where should we start? Yeah, let's start with Psalm 123. These are, um, these are not necessarily traditional Christmas passages or traditional Advent passages, but these are some passages that, that, really, that really spoke to me. To you, I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maid to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes to the Lord our God, until he is gracious to us. Be gracious to us, O Lord, be gracious to us. For we are greatly filled with contempt. Our soul is greatly filled with the scoffing of those who are at ease and with the contempt of the proud. Okay, why do I think this is an Advent passage? <laughs> One of the things we do in Advent, well, I mean, we kind of do, okay, we're, we're doing three things when we, when we celebrate Advent, is we're joining with the larger body of Christ who's also doing this, but we're, like I said, we're looking back and we're looking forward. We're actually in solidarity with the people who were waiting for the coming of Jesus the first time. And then we're also looking forward because we too are waiting for a coming Messiah. Except we know him this time. Because he's been here. We've met him. He's given us his spirit. So that's even a little bit more exciting. But the, the, but the people waiting for the coming of the Messiah the first time, they didn't know. They didn't know who he was going to be. They didn't know when he was going to come. But they did feel like, pretty often, things sucked. And they needed a savior. They needed someone to deliver them. So I lift, my, I lift up my eyes. To you I lift up my eyes, you who are enthroned in the heavens. The king on the throne. As a servant looks to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maid to the hand of her mistress. Right? Lord, the Lord, I'm looking to the Lord until he is gracious to us. And then the last um, two verses are basically saying the reason. Why am I looking for the grace of the Lord? Why am I looking to the king until he is gracious? Because things suck. That's what, that's what the last couple of verses are saying. Because we're having a really bad time. Our soul is greatly filled with the scoffing of those who are at ease and with the contempt of the proud. If you are a first century Israelite, Jew in, in you know, modern day Palestine, whatever, you are occupied by the Romans. You are having a very bad time. You are greatly filled with contempt. Your soul is greatly filled with the scoffing of those who are at ease and with the contempt of the proud. The Romans are the proud. The Romans view you with contempt. And you've got contempt back. You need deliverance. So you look to the Lord until he is gracious. Be gracious, O Lord. Be gracious. And then we get Jesus. He came. That was God's grace to us, was the coming of Jesus. This prayer was answered in Jesus. 
And we are here again. We're waiting. We look at things are weird. We're troubled a lot of the time. I don't think they suck as much for us as they did for the people in Israel. That's my opinion. <laughs> but we're looking to the Lord till he's gracious to us. So Jesus came, he, he was gracious to us. And again, look at this, uh, this, this contempt of the proud thing. There's this thing about proud. What does Jesus say when he shows up? He flips everything. The first shall be last, the last shall be first. The proud will be humbled. The humble will be exalted. Right? This is what Jesus did. He was the grace of God, came in, and he says, the proud, those who are at ease, those oppressors, they get the bottom rung. But you who have been waiting, you get the top rung. He flips it. He brings this upside-down kingdom. Psalm 14. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They, all, they have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Do all the workers of wickedness not know who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? There they are in great dread, for God is with the righteous generation. You would put to shame the counsel of the afflicted, but the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores his captive people, Jacob will rejoice. Israel will be glad. I don't know if that rings familiar to anybody. I don't know if you can hear Jesus saying, no one is good, no man is good, not one. I don't have the verse for that written down, but Jesus said that. People denying God. And what are they doing? They're corrupt. They, what does it say? They eat up my people like bread, I think is what it says. Now I can't find it. Yeah. These workers of wickedness who eat up my people as they eat bread. And they don't call upon the Lord. But they'll be in great dread for, the, for God is with the righteous. Right? You, and he's talking to the wicked, you would put to shame the counsel of the afflicted, but the Lord is his refuge. And what does Jesus say? Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. That's in Luke. Actually, I've got that here. Luke 6, 20. And turning his gaze toward his disciples, he began to say, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And there's lots more there. We could, we could, I mean, this is not a sermon on the Sermon on the Mount, but... Um, But he's looking at the afflicted. He's saying, yours is the kingdom. It's exactly what this psalm is praying for. And oh, that salvation 
Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion. Zion means Jerusalem. Where did our salvation come out of? Jesus on the cross in Jerusalem. He came. Oh, that our salvation would come. He came. The oppressed people, Israel, were waiting for him to come. They were reading psalms like these. There's a lot of them. There's a lot of psalms that are not happy. That are waiting for someone to come. He came. Isaiah 2, 1 to 5. The word which Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. I always enjoy that. There's a you can spend a whole bunch of nerdy time on this, but the word which he saw. It's just a, anyways. Forget forget I said that. But uh, so now it will come about that in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it and many peoples will come and say come let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob that he may teach us concerning his ways that we may walk in his paths for the law will go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem and he will judge between the nations and will render decisions for many peoples and they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation and never again will they learn war. Come house of Jacob and let us walk in the light of the Lord. This goes on to talk about how they are not walking in the light of the Lord. <laughs> um, but what we see here, again, it's Jerusalem, the mountain, Zion. Zion, the mountain in Jerusalem, the hill of the Lord. That he may teach us concerning his ways. Jesus was a teacher, among other things. And he says, right, he may teach us concerning his ways and that we may walk in his paths. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the path. For the law will go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Again, Jesus, the gospel coming from Zion and Jerusalem. I'm not trying to say that the law and the gospel are the same thing, but I am trying to tell you, right, that Jesus said, I fulfill the law. Also, in, uh, in John chapter 1, there's, um, which we'll take a look there in a minute too, but in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. A lot of, um, a lot of scholars have, have come to think that, well, the word word there means a lot of different things. We talked about this in our Bible study this past week, um, but that held a lot of meaning for people in the first century. And one of the meanings it meant for people was actually the law, the Torah. The word is the Torah. 
Jesus is the embodiment of the law. And he fills it full. He fulfills it. Which is what he says himself. He, I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And here we have, The law will go forth from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and he will judge between the nations. That's something he has done and will do. That's a promise that has been fulfilled and is going to be fulfilled. The kingdom is, has come and is still coming and will come in fullness later when Jesus comes again. So this, yeah, this word. And then peace, right? Jesus, the prince of peace. No more war. Let us walk in the light. This is the other thing about Advent, traditionally. Um, Advent is thinking about in the coming, right? But the coming of light and darkness. Jesus is the light in a dark world. And he came, right? And then there's this cool stuff. We have the star, the light in the dark sky, right? Um, when we look at the birth stories. But it's this, there's this light in the darkness, and this has come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. And we know that Jesus is the light of the world. And then also, who else is the light of the world? We are. Jesus says so. Because we are in him. The first uh, Sunday of Advent is traditionally a Sunday about hope. There's all sorts of things uh, on, the, on the weeks of Advent. There's, there's hope, there's joy, there's peace. Um, and love, I think, is the other one. And they are each of them a light in darkness and they're the hope we have in Jesus the peace we have in Jesus the joy we have in Jesus the love we have in Jesus these things are light in darkness it's light in the darkness of the world it's light in the darkness of your life it's light that came it's the light that's coming so again we look at these passages that we've been seeing here these are passages about this hope this expectation this come Lord come then in John John chapter 1, we'll read a bit of this too. We can't unpack it because, well, in truth, I don't know how. But uh, I only know a little bit how. But, but you'll see here the light, the light coming. People don't often think of this as a Christmas passage because it doesn't have a birth story. But this is a Christmas passage. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. 
glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Lord, be gracious to us. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me, for of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Little note here, again, because we had that, um, that passage talking about the law going forth and Jesus relating to that law. Um, I, don't, I don't even know if some of your translations might, might say this, uh, might have this word in here, but um, I've often read John 1.17 in my mind, whether it says it or not. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. I've read it as a contrast. I don't believe it's a contrast. <laughs> I believe this is a parallel structure trying to say two good things and they intensify. That's a, that's a literary thing that the Bible does sometimes. It gives you two parallel things and it intensifies. And it says these things are connected. Because in the Bible, in most of the Bible at least, and I, I would maybe even argue all of the Bible, the law is a good thing. Um, Paul doesn't hate the law. We could talk about that later if you want to chit-chat about that. He's not anti-law. Jesus wasn't anti-law. He fulfills the law. Right? He doesn't abolish it. So you see law here. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. This is an intensification and a connection. Jesus was the one who gave Moses the law. And then grace and truth were realized through him. So the law is the beginning of that. And then Jesus comes in and fills all that. Fulfills all that. And then it goes out. The good news of Jesus, the fulfillment of the law, the Messiah, who the law promised. The righteousness in the earth. The reign of God, the rule of God. God's dominion, the kingdom. Through Jesus Christ. That's the coming. And that's the light. Jesus came as the light. The fulfiller of the law is the light. Isn't that exciting? I don't know. I think that's really exciting. We're in bondage, right? We've like this is the context. You're living in bondage. You're living in bondage to the Romans. You're living in bondage to the Pharisees who have misappropriated the law, you might say. They've misunderstood it. They've gotten things confused and wrong and they're operating on the wrong motives. You're in bondage to sin. You're in bondage to your own guilt. And the law condemns you because you're sinning. And then Jesus comes and he fulfills all of it. He fulfills the law. He brings you the promises of the law. And he shows you the way to walk. Me, he says. I'm the way. And that lights up the darkness. He delivers from sin. He delivers from the Pharisees. And he delivers from Rome, in a sense. 
because he says, it's all right. They're not your master. They'll be here for a while, but I'm here forever, right? That's, Jesus is coming back. So, yeah. I guess I just want you to, yeah, I want you to, um, just to think about the people Israel as they wait for that Messiah, as they wait in hope, our eyes look to the Lord our God until he is gracious to us. Wayne said the other week, you know, you become what you behold. Um, I don't know if that's a, a true maxim for life, but, uh, but I like it. It sounds good. <laughs> And so our eyes look to the Lord, our God. In a hard time like this, uh, hard for many, with a lot of questions and uncertainties, this is what we are to do. We are to look to the Lord, our God, until he is gracious to us. And we are to wait for the coming. And we are to rejoice in the coming. And as we wait for the coming. There's a passage in Matthew 24 talks a bit about waiting or not waiting. <laughs> uh, verse, uh, let's see. Let's start at verse 36. Matthew 24, verse 36. But of, the, of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the day of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then there will be two men in the field, one will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one will be left. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert mm -hmm. and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. Mm -hmm. For this reason, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is the slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time, and he begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards? The master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour which he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So that's also about coming. And it's about being ready. 
you're not waiting for the coming, you're not going to be ready for the coming. If you're not excited about the coming that was, you're probably not going to be ready for the coming that will be. Because the coming that was, again, was a light in the dark place, showed us the way, gave us love that we didn't have before, <laughs> fulfilled the law, and, and gave that to us. Gave us his insight. Um, Ephesians, I think, or maybe it's Galatians, maybe both, um, talks about how the law was given to us as a tutor, someone to take care of us for a while. But now we're not kids anymore. Now we're, we're, we've stepped into the role of, of grown heirs. And so we don't have a tutor. We're the decision maker. We have to figure out how to do stuff on our own, how to manage things from the law. Taught us all this stuff. And now we have to engage with that. We don't throw it away. But Jesus fulfilled it, and then it's like, okay, you're heirs now, your sons, your daughters. Figure it out. But you've learned from the tutor. So Jesus came, and he gave us this, and then it says, be ready. He says, we don't know when he's going to come again, but be ready. What does it mean to be ready? Well, he says, who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household? to give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is the slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. Being ready for the coming, being looking to the second coming, doesn't mean sitting on your front porch, get a good view of the skyline, and parking it out, praying with one eye open. You know, I'm in the presence of God, Lord, I'm ready for you. You're coming. Lunch break. Okay, go back in. That's not what it means. Being ready means following Jesus. <laughs> means following the king because he's coming back. See, if the king came, and then he left, and he's never coming back, then we can all do whatever we want. It won't go very well, <laughs> but we could do that. But if you really think the king's coming back, like if you really think it's his kingdom, then you follow. You follow the way. I mean, we've talked a lot about one aspect of that following the way. A pretty big aspect. We've been doing that for a few months, right? On this loving your neighbor thing. That's a big, it's not the whole thing. Well, I mean, it kind of, it's a summary, whatever. We won't go back there. But we've been talking about that. That's a big part of this. This is what it means to be ready. Am I going to find you doing the task I gave you to do? Am I going to find you feeding the others? The one I put in charge of, of uh, giving them their food at the proper time. Am I going to find you doing that? Or am I going to find you thinking, okay, you know what? Because he's not coming back for a while, I'm going to do what I want. The point here isn't actually that this person thinks he's not coming back for a while. 
The point is that he's using that as an excuse for something. Mm -hmm. The point is that he's not in submission to the king, to the Lord, to the master. He's not ready. But I mean, I mean, this guy, he's never going to be ready. Not with that attitude. And so he beats his fellow slaves. And he parties. <laughs> Hang out with the drunks. He's oppressing others while he's living it up. That's the contrast. Right? Again, think about the proud and the humble thing. Jesus flipped over that we see being cried out about in the Psalms. Yeah. It's not going to go well for that guy or gal. Because Master's going to come in an hour he does not know. That would mean any hour, whether that's tomorrow or in 50 years. This guy doesn't care. Because he's not going to be ready. Because he wants to do his own thing. But, if you, but this is saying, if you're going to be ready, if you're going to care about the coming of Jesus, if you're going to care that he came and that he's coming again, if you think he's the Lord, this is his kingdom, then you want to be found faithful. I love that song. I, I point to Jay because I feel like he's the one I've always heard play that song. <laughs> want to be found faithful. Um, so, again, I'm not, not, I'm not saying that, you know, we shouldn't um, also pay attention to what's going on in the world and, and say, hey, maybe it is coming soon. I don't know if it's coming soon. I don't know if Jesus is coming back soon. I just know that he's coming back sooner than he was yesterday. That's the only thing I can say with 100% confidence. <laughs> but it doesn't matter in terms of our behavior, in terms of our waiting and our expectation, our hopeful expectation. And it better be hopeful, by the way. <laughs> because if the coming of Jesus is not something you're hoping for, then you're the second slave in the story. Probably. You don't want to get caught. <laughs> First slave, he's just looking forward to his master coming back. He's doing his job. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, hopeful expectation. Don't obsess, I think. I, I, don't, I think it's not about obsessing about the, the end times or, or, or getting uh, trying to read more than we can read uh, into things. You know, some level of awareness, it's all good. But the most important thing, is actually just being faithful. Because you're going to be surprised. That's the indication um, That's the indication earlier uh, in what's being read here. You're going to be surprised. So be found faithful. You're not going to get, there's not going to be an alarm bell that goes off and it says, okay, you've got like 10 hours to get ready. And then you're going to be like, okay, I'm going to repent of my sins. I'm going to confess these things. I'm going to get all this in order. I'm going to quick apologize to some people. Like, it's not how it is. Mm -hmm. You're going to be found faithful or you're not going to be found faithful. You're going to be found to have faith or not have faith. And, and that's in the second coming. But where do we figure out faithfulness and faith and how do we get all that? We get it from the first coming. So, anyways... I've rambled enough, um, but this is Advent, 
Our hope is in Jesus. And Jesus is a light in our darkness. And the hope that we have in Jesus is the thing. It's not going to be... It's not going to be getting a Christian as a prime minister. It's not our hope. It's not going to be Donald Trump getting in the White House again. It's not going to be Joe Biden staying in the White House. It's not even going to be Barack Obama getting back into politics. <laughs> This is not our hope. This will not light up the dark. Our hope is in Jesus. He came and he's coming. So we have that promise. And again, this time, we're not just waiting and hoping for a who knows when. We are waiting and hoping for a who knows when, but not a who knows what, because we know who. We've met him already. And if you've got a relationship with Jesus, you know he's trustworthy. So, even though it's been 2,000 years, <laughs> you can trust he's still coming. Let's pray.